wonder, did you feel the joy of the Lord while the band was singing this morning? Is it not delightful when our souls sense the beauty and majesty of God? And these are kids. I mean, uh, uh, don't worry about God's future in this church. He's getting it done in kids' hearts. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, we're studying spiritual disciplines so that we can mature in Jesus Christ and so that the inner quality of our life can be rich and meaningful and pleasing to you. So I pray that you would convince us this morning that there is value in learning the, uh, the uh, spiritual skills of silence and solitude. I ask this through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Cervantes was born in 1547. And when he was 17 years old, he enlisted in the um, Italian Navy and fought in a, uh, a, a vicious battle. And in the battle, his left arm was wounded so bad, uh, he, it was uh, uh, paralyzed the rest of his life. Uh, when he recovered, uh, he became part of the army, got captured by pirates, and was sold into slavery in uh, Algeria for five years. Uh, finally, he, uh, his family uh, bought his freedom, and he came back to Spain and uh, was put in prison for debt. They had debtor's prison then. And uh, if anybody had the right to have a bad attitude, uh, Cervantes did. Uh, but in the stillness and in the solitude of that prison, Cervantes lived in his mind. And he wrote what has been called the greatest novel in Western culture, Don Quixote. Um, many of you had to uh, read it uh, for your college curriculum. It's the story about a man who uh, lost his sanity and believed that he was a knight and that he was riding around on a great uh, a battle horse and that he was wearing the finest armor in the world. Uh, in fact, uh, he wasn't a knight, his horse was old and worn out, and uh, his armor was secondhand and rusty, and when he lost his helmet, he actually ended up wearing a pot for a helmet. And Cervantes tells us episode after episode of his strange life. Uh, I told you this story to, to say, there's historic proof that if you do silence and solitude right, it calls the best out of you. 
Cervantes would have probably never written Don Quixote if he had not been forced into a place where he was silent and secluded. But the world is better because of it. And by the way, the book sold so many copies that he got out of debtor's prison and ended up buying himself a nice little place and lived happily ever after. There is great value even in our hurried, our hurried culture. There's great value in the personal discipline of silence and solitude. We're going to study Psalm 46 together today. Uh, we're not really sure the historical incidents connected to this psalm. If you read the title of the psalm, it says it's uh, the song of the sons of Korah. Uh, and we know that Korah led a rebellion against Moses, but we don't know it's that exact Korah. Uh, uh. So we don't know the historical background of this psalm. But as we read it, we can sense what's happening in the psalmist's life and inner life. He starts out by saying, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. First of all, we need to ask ourselves, what is silence and solitude? Uh, it is a break from the continuous demand to respond to the bombardments of life. Do you know how life bombards you every day? Uh, we are bombarded by life. We get up, probably the, the, uh, you wake up to the radio coming on or some alarm blaring or uh, you start your day uh, 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 being bombarded. And then you probably uh, listen to something while you're getting ready. And then you get in your car and you probably listen to something in the car. And then you get to work and it's one thing after the next, after the next, after the next. Uh, you go home you uh, have a dozen things you have to do at home. You're constantly being bombarded, and you're, prom you're probably bombarded to the very last minute of the day when you finally uh, 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 fall asleep on a pillow. We are bombarded by life hour after hour, day after day. And I wonder if you can even remember the last time you got a break from all of that. Can you remember the last time that you escaped all of that and you found some place that was honestly silent and uh, uh, semi-secluded? Um, it's the freedom from the pressure to say the right thing all the time. We live in a culture right now, they'll cancel you instantly for one mistaken sentence. Um, 
I always worry, uh, the Psalms say, in the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. And I come here every week and bombard you with words. Uh, some of them have to be wrong from time to time. All right. Silence is giving myself permission not to have to respond to absolutely everything and to respond to everything perfectly. Silence and solitude is private space to experience my inner life. You do know you have an inner life. You know your life is really more than just the external stuff that happens to you and around you. You know there really is an eternal being living within you. Uh, you know that uh, there's more to you than just what you produce every day. You have an inner life. And that inner life, if you're not careful, it gets lost in the shuffle and the push and shove of your external life. Your external life becomes so demanding that you lose touch with your internal life. Silence and solitude is a way of shutting out the world long enough for you to uh, one time, once more reconnect with the inner life that is the real you. Can you hear me, church? You do know that you have this inner self. There has to have been times in your life when you were intensely aware of your true inner life. Well, silence and solitude are designed to make it easier for you to connect with that inner life. Don't make this hard on yourself. I'm not asking you to be monastic. I'm not asking you to go on a retreat in some place far away where you don't talk to anybody for uh, 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 a month. I'm not asking for that. We can do it in simple ways. How about a quiet walk? Is there any place you can go and just take a quiet walk? I know a good place if you're looking for one. Uh, the, uh, 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 some good people in our church put in this beautiful pathway in our backyard, and I don't know if you've ever walked on it, but it's absolutely delightful, especially this time of year. In this quiet walk, you purposefully say, I'm not dealing with all my life issues. I'm turning my thoughts and my awareness inward. And I'm saying to myself, is it well with your soul? The band's saying in a powerful way, it is well with my soul. But do you know that to be true? Have you checked in on yourself lately? And can you say it is well with my soul? In this quiet walk, you pay special attention to your internal self. It is brief moments of pausing and turning inwardly. You can do this throughout the day. You can do this at your work. You can do this at home. You can do this any number of places where throughout the day you just pause and you become aware of your inner self. 
no matter what's going on around you, uh, you can pause for a second and, and you can be aware of your spiritual inner life. I do this sometimes when I drive home from work or I drive to work. I just don't turn the radio on. And I pay attention to what's happening on the inside of me. Um, uh, sometimes I don't pay enough attention on the outside and I get home and go, ooh, you wonder how you got here. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure some of you have had that same experience. Um, uh, this isn't hard. Uh, I do this sometimes. Uh, I just step out on my back patio. I just stand in my backyard uh, uh, and I just get externally quiet and I, I turn internal and, and uh, I, I say to the Lord, search me and try me and show me where my evil ways are. Help me to have uh, a clear sense of what's going on inside of me and how I can make it better. Uh, if uh, you ride a motorcycle, a motorcycle road trips are beautiful for silence and solitude. Uh, you just ride out into the middle of nowhere, uh, cornfields and bean fields around you, and you turn inwardly, and, and you, you sense the divine. So silence and solitude is not a goal in itself, it is a means to a goal. The goal is this inward self-awareness. This goal is this inward connection with the Lord God Almighty. And the means to that goal is silence and solitude. Um, when you figure out that this is really healthy for you, it'll be easier for you to figure out more ways to do it and longer times to do it. But don't start with an unrealistic goal because then you'll get annoyed and, and uh, you'll, you'll uh, say, Doc, it doesn't work and you won't keep doing it. Each one of the stanzas in this psalm end with the word selah because the psalmist is asking us to do what he's teaching. Listen, he says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, no matter what's happening around us. Selah. Selah means pause and reflect. He says, I've just told you that God is your refuge. He's your strength, he's your help, and he's your source of courage. Now you pause right now and you reflect on that. Do you hear this, church? Uh, in fact, I could turn Selah into a verb. Um, I could say, in silence and solitude, I Selah. I pause and reflect. Church? All right. A great deal of the reality of God is the experience of God in my inner self. And if I'm going to experience God in my inner self, there has to be some pausing and there has to be some reflecting. 
The psalmist says, in silence and solitude, I get four blessings. The first one is a sense of safety. He says, the Lord is our refuge. Ah, the presence of God is a safe place for your soul. Have you ever had a soul anxiety? Have you ever felt anxiety on the inside? A sense of uh, uh, not calm, uh, worry, a, a, a sense that uh, something bad is going to happen. Anyone ever felt that? All right. In silence and solitude, God replaces my anxiety with his sense of security. He is a refuge. In the Septuagint, this word, this word means a safe place to run. God is a safe place for your soul to run to. The second thing is God is our strength. Uh, uh, this word might be better translated. He is our ability. He is our inner capacity. The presence of God creates a new ability in my soul. It creates a new capacity for my soul. When my soul senses the reality of God, it changes my soul's capacity. The fourth blessing is help. He is a very present help. What does that mean? That means when I turn inwardly and I experience God, my, my mental life is enriched by the presence of God. He helps me think differently about life. It means my emotional life is enriched by God. He makes me feel differently about life. It means my spiritual life is enriched by God. I have a sense that um, uh, God is at work both to will and to work according to his good purpose. The fourth benefit is courage. The psalmist says, if everything is falling apart, I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. The presence of God offsets the chaos and the fear of life. In silence and solitude, I experience the reality of God and the reality of God has a way of offsetting the chaos of life around me. After silence and solitude, you always feel better than before because the presence of God has done something for your soul that nothing else can do. Are you starting to feel like you're willing to uh, uh, at least experiment with this? Yes? All right, then I'll give you a little more. <laughs> Silence and solitude is a discipline. It's not something you're going to get up in the morning and go, wow, I get to do this today. It's something you get up in the morning and you say, all right, today I'm going to make sure that I get a little silence and solitude and I do something healthy for my soul. Church. Uh, Richard Foster in his book on the spiritual discipline says, the disciplined person is the person can do, who can do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. 
in the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude, you become the kind of person who can be quiet and still when you need to be quiet and still, when your soul needs you to be quiet and still. Then the psalmist said, the imagery, the poetic imagery changes. It changes from this real chaotic world where uh, the mountain, the earth is giving away and, and the mountains are being moved into the sea and, and uh, the water is roaring. And li listen, the image changes. And now there is a poetry of a pleasant river. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage and the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. In this, in this, uh, uh, in this uh, second stanza of this poem, the, the uh, psalmist creates three images. And the first image is the image of a, 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 a crystal clear river that brings fresh water by a beautiful city. The psalmist wants you to imagine seeing uh, the most beautiful clear river you can imagine. And it's running beside a city. And uh, because the water is so clear and so healthy, it, it, it makes a difference for everybody who lives around there. All right. What, is the, what does the image represent? Uh, it represents the flow of God through my inner self. In the very same way that this beautiful river enriches the people by the city, the flow of the presence of God through my inner self enriches me. We experience God's presence as a fresh, beautiful uh, river flowing through our life, bringing us health and goodness. Then the second image is, anybody ever worked a night shift? Yeah. Uh, if you've ever worked a night shift, more than any other shift I've ever worked, you're glad when your shift is over and the new crew is coming in. I don't, I don't know how people do it. The night shift is the hardest shift to work. Uh, uh, it's altogether different when you're getting off at, th at 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon than when you're getting off at 6 o'clock in the morning. Uh, the people who work the night shift, they are happy for the morning crew. And that's the image here. The image here is uh, this guy has worked through the night and, uh, and uh, it's starting to dawn and God is the morning crew. In it, when your soul has been through difficulty, when, you, when you've had hard times, when you've struggled through the darkness of light, the psalmist says, you can look forward to God meeting you in your inner self the very same way the night shift looks forward to the morning crew. But for you, the morning crew 
is the presence and the goodness of God himself. Can you hear this, church? And then the third image is an image of a mighty army. Uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, when you read the Lord of hosts, it, it should really be translated the Lord of armies. Uh, for some reason, the Bible compares uh, uh, angelic organization into the way armies are organized. And now we have this image of God showing up like a mighty army, and he's showing up like a mighty army for our good to protect us from the battering and the bruising of the world around us. In silence and solitude, I experience the presence of God like a beautiful river flowing through my life. In silence and solitude, I experience God as the one who shows up for the morning shift, the one who's altogether worthy to be trusted, and I can surrender everything to him. In silence and solitude, I experience the presence of God like a mighty army, the one who is ready to defend my soul from all evil. Church, there's no downside to this. It's all a blessing. Um, we're using Swindoll's book, uh, 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 So You Want to Be Like Christ. And he says in his chapter on silence and solitude that silence and solitude creates serenity. What is serenity? It's a peace and contentment on the inside that others see as confidence and security on the outside. In silence and solitude, you experience God in the kind of way that you have this internal peace and contentment. And then people around you see your inner life and it looks to them like confidence and security. The third stanza of the poem. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolation upon the earth. I'm going to talk about the word desolation in just a minute. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Now here we are. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among all the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. The psalmist says, come and look at the works of the Lord. In silence and solitude, what am I supposed to do? I don't believe I'm supposed to just make my mind blank. I, I, I don't see how that helps me become a better person. It might help me relax in the moment. Finding a moment of relaxation is a good thing. But silence and solitude is not about just relaxing, it's about being enriched. So in silence and solitude, I do what the psalmist said, I come and see the works of God. And I say to myself in silence and solitude, what do I know that God does? This is why it helps to be a Bible reader. In silence and solitude, I say to myself, 
What do I know that God does? I made a list for you. In silence and solitude, you can think about God as your creator. You are not a random biological function. I'm going to tell you that again and again and again. You are an expression of the creative imagination of God. You are who you are because God is so creative in his imagination. When you're in silence and solitude and you say, what does God do? You say, God creates unique individuals just like me. I exist because at some moment in eternity past, God conceived me in his creative wisdom, and I am an expression of the riches of his understanding of what humanity can and should be. What does God do? He is a sustainer. God didn't just create everything. He sustains everything. Uh, you think about all the times God has sustained you. I think in my life about the many, many times uh, I, I could have crashed and burned, but the sustainer showed up to help me. Uh, I, have a, uh, I have a deep appreciation for the sustaining goodness of God. Uh, God is a teacher. Uh, in my life, the best things I've learned, I've learned through the teaching work of the Lord God Almighty. He is the Redeemer. When the unholy one says to me, uh, you're a loser, uh, remember when you did this, remember when you did that, remember when you said this, and when remember when you said that. And in silence and solitude I say, Yes, that's all true, but it's not the whole truth. The whole truth is, whatever ugly thing I've done or said, Jesus Christ, in the riches of his grace, has forgiven me and made me acceptable to the Father. I say these things to myself in silence and solitude. He is the judge of all. Uh, uh, look, I can live with you not liking me, I cannot live with God not liking me. I can live with you being disappointed with me. I cannot live with God being disappointed in me. In silence and solitude, I recalibrate what's important. I can accept someone being unhappy with me if I have the sense that I'm pleasing to God in my heart. He is the source of wisdom, beauty, and wonder. If anything makes life wonderful... It is the presence of the Lord God Almighty. Everything wonderful about your life, everything wonderful that you have experienced, it came out of the goodness, it came out of the riches of his mercy and grace, church. In silence and solitude, I remind myself what God does. I reconnect again and again. This is the kind of person he is. These are the things he does. And then it's easy for me to believe that he is my refuge. It's easy for me to believe that he is uh, the Lord of hosts and he, and he defends me from evil. When I consider what he's already done. The second focus in silence and solitude is knowing who God is. Be still and know that I am God. I'd like to focus on this word be still for a couple of minutes. 
In the Septuagint, it is the word um, skalasata, and it literally means have leisure. Just create a leisurely moment. It, silence and solitude isn't about you gripping, gritting your teeth and holding onto the rails of your chair. It's about you in your connecting with your inner self and saying, that's the idea. You don't grit your teeth through your moments of silence and solitude. You let go. You release. This word isn't used very often uh, 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 because it's so specific. It means to create a space of leisure within yourself. To take the pressure off yourself. To back off for a minute. To simply relax for a minute. Uh, uh, the Greek word is rafa, the Hebrew word is rafa, and it does mean relax, be quiet, drop it. I'd I, I like to read it that way. Relax and know that I am God. Relax and acknowledge you're not running everything. This thing, this, this place will, uh, this place will keep on cooking when you and I are long gone. No matter what we, how important we think we are. Uh, relax. You're not God. I, I want to read it as, uh, be quiet. Uh, sometimes I annoy myself by all the chatter I chatter at God. Chatter, 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 chatter. Uh, it's a good thing God is patience, uh, uh, patient. Uh, 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 or he would put me on mute, I guarantee you. Uh, uh, how about reading it this way? Be quiet and let God be God. You don't have to tell him all the time. You don't have to be bossing him around all the time. You, you, you can have times where you simply say to God, I'm not asking you for anything. I'm not saying anything. I'd just like to sit around in your presence for a few minutes. Church? And then how about this one? Let it drop and know that I am God. All that stuff you're carrying around with you, the anger, the resentment, the unforgiveness, all those things, let it drop. Just drop it for a minute and know that the Lord is God. Uh, what am I supposed to think when he says, and know that I am God? Um, uh, I use, uh, I, I've taught many people in the church this. I use the Westminster, the Westminster Confession definition of God to think about God. Um, you can buy this little pocket edition. Uh, I think I paid 15 bucks for this. Uh, I, I promise you it's worth it. If you buy it and you don't like it, I'll buy it from you and give it to someone else. All right. When I think about be still and know that I am God, how, what thoughts do I have about what does it mean to know that I am God? I, I'm just going to read this to you. It's written in 1600s English, and it's very dense, but I believe it'll help you even if you don't connect with all of it. 
God hath all life, glory, goodness, and blessedness in and of himself, and is alone in and unto himself all sufficient, not standing in need of any creatures which he has made, or deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. He is alone the fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things, and hath most sovereign dominion over them, to do by them, for them, or upon them, whatever he pleases. In his sight all things are open and manifest. His knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent on the creature. So there is nothing to him contingent or uncertain. He is most holy in all his counsels, in all his works, in all his commands. To him is due from angels and men and every other creature whatsoever worship, service, or obedience he's pleased to require of them. So when I'm having a moment of quietness and stillness, I say, uh, who do I think God is? And then I just take the first line and I say, God has all life in and of himself. And I say, God... All life has its origin in you. And then I say, God has all glory in and of himself. And I say, everything that is glorious in all of creation, it has its origin in you. And then I say, God has all goodness in and of himself. Everything that is good has its origin in God. And quietly, I think, to myself one of these lines after another and I just rehearse in my mind who I think God is. You see, that's what causes the river thinking about God. That's what causes the, the, the uh, I'm surrendering this all to the morning shift thinking about God. That's what makes me feel safe because God is who he is. In silence and solitude, the goal isn't just to be quiet and still. The goal is to think about God in ways that cause your, your soul to thrive. And if you don't take time to think about God in these ways, your soul will not thrive. You'll always have a, a certain level of anxiety. Life will always be at a high threat level. You'll always be feeling that ragged edge of being bombarded by uh, uh, the world. The third focus in silence and solitude is worship and raising God higher. The, the psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in all the earth. Now in silence and solitude, I start responding to what God is, what God does and who he is, and I start exalting him, and I do it in worship. Uh, uh, some of you know worship songs. That would be a, a perfect time to uh, 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 hum a worship song to yourself and, and to say to God, uh, uh, it is well with my soul, or whatever tune you're singing at the time. Uh, for me, uh, 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 music is, doesn't do that for me. So in my time of worship, uh, I start saying to God things like, I know that you're gracious, and I worship you for your grace. 
I know that you're merciful, and I worship you for your mercy. I know that you are abundant in steadfast love, and I worship you. I then, uh, the, the first part is worship, and the second part is I will be exalted. Uh, uh, I have to raise God higher in my thoughts, values, and praise. I have to say, dear God, I want to think the best thoughts about you I've ever thought. Would you send your Holy Spirit to help me do that? Uh, you say to God, dear God, I want you to have more influence in my values. Would you please have the Holy Spirit start pressing me in my values? And then this stanza ends with Selah also. Pause and contemplate. Pause and contemplate. See, silence and solitude is a turning away from the chaos of life it's a turning inward and connecting with the reality of God. And in those minutes when we, correct, when we connect with the reality of God, we pause and we contemplate who God is to us and what place he has in our life and what kind of relationship we want to have with him. And church, that is a spiritual discipline that your soul is starving to death for, whether you know it or not. So I call upon you in this time when we practice spiritual disciplines to turn sila into a verb. I pause and I contemplate the wonder, the majesty, the beauty, the dignity of the Lord God Almighty. Our dear Heavenly Father, who is like unto the Lord God? You are awesome in every way. Who is capable of doing what you can do? There is none. I don't know one. I pray that your Holy Spirit would do what only he can do. And that in each heart that's here this morning and everyone who's watching online, we would feel a new inclination to pause and contemplate the wonder of who you are. And as we pause and contemplate, I pray that we would raise you higher and higher in our thoughts, in our values, in our emotions, and that your place in our life would grow uh, richer and richer. And then I pray that through this uh, spiritual discipline, we would experience serenity. We would have uh, peace and uh, contentment on the inside and we would be uh, confident and uh, uh, steadfast on the outside. In Jesus' name, amen.